Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway, and what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Another Monday upon us, Hank Vogler checking in from North Spring Valley, Nevada. You are not going to believe what I experienced this past week, Hank Vogler. Uh, snow, rain, sleet, hail, dark of night. You Are you spying on me? What, what, what the heck are you doing? Well, I have a friend in Sheridan, Wyoming, that uh, he's worried about us being in a drought. We had Friday, we had eight inches of the wettest slush that ever fell out of the sky. And he said they had five inches of snow, 50 mile an hour winds, and it was going all the way into Nebraska. The only thing... I just took a wild guess. Okay, so the only thing you left out of that equation, first of all, at my house, we are still as dry as Hank Vogler. We are severe, as severe as I've ever seen it. Wow. Um, And and so severe that I'm needing some hay, and none of my neighbors will sell me a bale of hay because they're thinking they're going to have to feed cows hay all year. Um, So, and, and then I go from Lincoln, on Friday I go from Lincoln from one edge of the state to the other edge of the state. And when I drove through North Platte, my thermometer said 95. When I got to Baird, which is out on the by Scotts Bluff, close to Wyoming, it was still 91. That night, we, we've had sustained 50-mile-an-hour winds for now 16 straight days. That night, there were massive fires in the area. Lights went out in Baird, Nebraska, for two hours. Uh, kudos to all of the first responders, the linemen, the people that go fix those things. And the next morning, I woke up and it was snowing. And it snowed. we drove. There was a 40-mile stretch <laughs> that we drove through exactly what you just described, five inches of snow with a ground blizzard that was the most dangerous uh, visibility I've ever driven in. And it took us uh, about two hours to go 40 miles. And so uh, I've experienced every single thing you can experience this week in weather, except moisture at my house. Well, we had a million-dollar storm, and it looks like it's over with, but it did it did make a difference. I feel sorry for my neighbor who's right in the middle of the landing. Uh, when it comes to hay, you can't find a bale of hay around here at any price. We're shipping cattle tomorrow from here. To San Jacinto, and then from Chin Creek on Wednesday, and then back here at the house here on Thursday, and hopefully we'll be able be able to stretch what few bales we got left until we get out of here. But it is, uh, and it's weird. The, I don't know if the grass is stronger or, or what was different about this winter, no winter, whatever it was. The animals have done very well. And and uh, there is a little green out there. Not going to last very long, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more green than there was this time last year. So really, you know, it it could always be worked. Yeah. Oh, seriously, I got. <laughs> I'm sitting in the lobby of a hotel with a coffee on this table, and I just about took a shower. Focus, Uh-oh. Trent. Focus. So anyway, with all of the negativity of the weather, and today we're going to go uh, to a region where those fires have been severe, and the uh, first responder, we've even lost a life, Hank, in the, in the region of a fireman, a fire chief, 
and so we're going to go visit with the people and, and talk about the importance of community and how we struggle through these tough times. But we don't know that they're past either. But well, we, now okay, now this is in southern Nebraska, where the and western Nebraska, where it's that dry. Correct. Uh, and you're having fires. I knew they were having fires in Arizona, New Mexico. But see but it's our, gotten up our, in Nebraska. Right, but our fire is unique to anything you have because when you have a fire, you know, take like the Elko County fire that burned at one million acres. Our fire is not like that. Our fires are uh, there'll be a, a couple thousand acres burn in a spot, but there's a hundred spots in the state because the the power lines are are snapping each other with fifty mile an hour winds wow. and it creates a spark. Yeah, and once you get a spark, it gets into something, and then those cinders lay in the low spots or behind the, the wind, and and then all of a sudden they kick back up, and so it's just been a tough week in this part of the world, and that's on the heels of what happened last week in North Dakota, where they had two and three feet of snow and that kind of wind. They say that we're having the largest, or rap, not the largest, but the most rapid loss of cows and bulls to the market and, and now with the rest of this stuff uh numbers are down numbers of chickens are obviously going to be down what's happening in the pork deal it, it are is that, that subsiding i see that the uh, hogs are over a dollar they are um the hog numbers are down obviously for different reasons there has uh the past 12 months in the pig business there's been a a major surge of PERS, porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome. So pig numbers are also down quite a bit, but that's from unrelated to weather conditions. That's a, a virus that has been wrangling the pork industry for quite some time. But in the past 12 months, we've seen another flare-up of that. So the numbers are down, but it, it's just across-the-board inflation. And Teresa and I have been talking about on this campaign trail it's amazing how many people are not thinking about the crippling of the food and fuel infrastructure that's currently taking place. It, it just doesn't seem to be resonating with people about what a dangerous position governments around the world have put us in. Well, I don't. I know of no human on Earth, I don't care what color they are or how tall or how short they are, sit around and think, you know, wouldn't it be fun if we just starved to death? Uh, years ago, there was people that were going to get on a uh, on a comet or something and go to another universe, and I don't think they made it. But uh, this food deal mm-hmm. now they're talking about. They think they're 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 trying to draw the parallel that there's a whole bunch of sabotage going on in these food processing plants all over the country, burning to the ground. Uh, seventeen, seventeen of them in six months. Yeah. Well, you add all of those things up. If you want to control the people, mm-hmm. you control the food supply, control the fuel oil, whatever it takes to get that food out there. And I, I, I don't believe that there's a supermarket. I mean, only I've been to Canadian supermarkets. They were very well stocked, but several years ago, I've been to Australian supermarkets. They were very well stocked. But if you want to get people in a panic, look what happened during the COVID. They emptied out the stores. They had gorillas standing there handing out toilet paper and paper towels because people were hoarding. I mean, wow. You want to upset the universe? That's the best way I know how. Meanwhile, 
This administration continues to push CRP, taking land out of production at an aggressive rate. They continue to talk about 30 by 30, taking 30% of the land and water, returning it to its natural state. So with all of these things taking place, which are somewhat seem to be weather-induced, but it's much more government-induced, with all these things taking place, they still push removing land from food production. Well, the same thing out here. I mean... Uh, yes, the pinion and juniper has taken over a lot of country. You know, I I probably discussed this with you before, but I went on a tour on Easter Sunday looking for grass to lamb, and I, and I happened to drive through where there had been a fire the year before. Every reservoir over there, and this is the worst drought in either 1,200 years or 128 years. Every reservoir, some of them I didn't even know existed. They've been in the timber for so long. Uh you couldn't have you couldn't have got a squirrel to find them. They were full of water, and the water was running out the overflows. So you can't imagine, even in this drought, how much water those trees were taking up. Mm-hmm. And then I walked to a ridge line, just for fun. The ridge line was covered with old relic sheet camp cans. Really? So yeah, so seventy, eighty years ago, there were sheep camps in there. You know, the old canned milk, you can always tell if canned right. milk is pre-1942 because it doesn't have the lead in the top to seal it and their little shiny plug everywhere. So, again, we have a metamorphosis going on. We ha- we do nothing about it except talk about it. Do NEPA, National Environmental Policy Act, which I don't care how many permits to drill oil they turn out. The enviros are going to stop them for five to ten years. You could you could discover gold, copper, any mineral uh, in the world, lithium, whatever, and I guarantee you, before you'll turn a spade, before you'll do anything with that mine, you got five years of wrangling, spending millions of dollars in a court because of an archaic law that was passed back in, I think, 1969 that gives every environmental group a seat at the table. And then when Jimmy Carter came along, he passed Equal Access for Legal Justice. They jumped on that. That's where their funding comes from. They sue the federal government. The federal government's got to pay them if they win the case. And they they sue them for not crossing a T, dotting an I, simple things, but then they charge huge mouths. Roll route. More Hank Vogler and certified Piedmontese after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose alongside Hank Vogler checking in from North Spring Valley, Nevada. We are talking about the issues of the day. I do want to remind you that when it comes to food production, you better be looking at something regional. This global food entity controlling everything and so much of an outside of the country interest and investment in our food production is going to bite us. That's not the case with Certified Piedmontese, creating the opportunity for Great Plains cattlemen and selling beef and pork and lamb to people around the world, but in particular in the Great Plains. Get more details about being a part of the supply chain for Certified Piedmontese at Lone Creek, cattleco.com. Um, yeah, I, I had a few lamb discussions. People paid attention last week when you were complaining that Ham had stolen, hijacked lamb from Easter. <laughs> not not to confuse yeah. you with a whiner, but, you know, 
people notice. <laughs> Wally Weiner. <laughs> well, I'm, no, I want to go. A... I want to go back to that ridge line and those. You found cans from the forties. That's crazy. Great. There's... I'd say most of them were pre forties, because you know those, those sheep herders always like to camp, you know, above a spring or where they had sight where they could see not only the predators but where their sheep were grazing. So for those people, and then if you looked across those burnt trees, mm-hmm. I'll bet you the, the tree rings, they probably weren't 70 years old. Right. So, you know, I mean, uh, and if they were, they, they were short. There would have been plenty of feed between them. And if, and if they used it in the spring, they probably lambed in there because they had a little shelter from those trees. Well, one day the trees grew up. The tree plant itself wants to grow and and prosper so it chokes out everything around it it absorbs all the water it dries up springs it does a lot of things and and that evolves into you know when uh when uh, american indians were running the show here they didn't have a fire department uh you know they just got out of the way and, and the men was, ah i see big smoke aha Woman, you move ten thick kids. I'm going hunting. <laughs> and where do you think the wildlife showed up after a fire? They showed up where the fresh green forbs and grasses were going to grow, and that was in those old burns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a completely different ecosystem. Uh, people kept putting out fires, and 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 they've restricted livestock grazing. Now. You know, all you have to do is say, well, people on federal land overgraze. Well, no, I think we undergraze. And we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have a one-size-fits-all where the government likes that. Everybody's going to get the same treatment. Well, you might have a field that's dominated by black sage. You've got to use it with sheep. You've got you to use it right. You can't put cows in there because they won't eat very little black sage. And then... You lose your grass component. I mean, all of these things were done at, because of short-sightedness, not nothing long-term. And once people get ensconced in the in the seat that they're in, they want to go up, not down. And so, if they advocate for the removal of livestock, that's where they go, and that's where we're at. We the, the environmentalists scare the different federal agencies worse than anything because they just tie them in knots. So it's it's just a uh, it, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. We're killing the goose that lays the golden egg. Whatever metaphor you want to use, it's not working. People from all over the world are swimming a real grand to come to this country because they think yeah. it's the last bastion of freedom. But now, if there's a million of them, how much protein does that take every day to feed another million people? Uh, first of all, they're not swimming the Rio Grande. They're getting in a plane and being flown across the Rio Grande, so they don't even get wet doing it anymore. Secondly, you said something that we have to expand upon because it is the great myth that you brought to the forefront and people in the West have been dealing with for so long. You remember back when we put together that formula, the formula that said if you utilize the Western lands, federal lands, at the proper level, we would produce 110 million protein meals a year. Well, 
when we figured this up, which was probably five, six years ago, we estimated that with the formula that we used, they were probably producing 33 million protein meals a year. And that's because people have this notion that if you remove grazing, you somehow improve the environment. What you said, I want to go back to and just I want to echo it louder than we can possibly say it. The more animals you have, the more forages and forbs you have to graze. Animals improve the availability of plants, not decimate them. Hank, that's the great misnomer that it must be addressed, and we've got to get a better handle on it. If we improve the number of plants, we have more animals, we'll need more plants, we'll have more people to feed, and that will just feed in itself, and it will continue to perpetuate the cycle of life. Well, I believe old Marlon Perkins on that. Serengeti, you know, all of those animals drifting north and south, uh, whether it was the predators, the prey base, whatever mm-hmm. it was, they didn't have a, a, a sheep herder with them. They consumed the forage and moved on, consumed the forage and moved on. When the pioneers came across the Great Plains, they burned buffalo chips, fire and grazing by whatever millions of buffalo there were, affected the area and the animals moved out the pioneers wrote in their diction uh, dictionaries <laughs> in their diaries that they always knew where the buffalo were at because there was nothing to feed their animals that were pulling their wagons so that was uh now considered horrible overgrazing but once they ate that off then it had a chance to come back fresh and then they would have dry years like we're having now and I'm sure some, the buffalo had to go somewhere or they perished. And so did the people. We had a fairly stable world population for several thousand years based on uh, open uh, agriculture or lack of agriculture, surplus agriculture, surplus food production is what has made the world what it is, whether it be a car, a computer, or what. Once we quit being hunter-gatherers and figured out agronomy and animal science, we became a more intellectual property. <laughs> it's very, very simplistic, but it's well, true. I, I got to tell you that the moment I've been asking for for 22 years is here. been asking people to recognize that food production is a means of national security, we would have been better off if we had recognized that 10 years ago, but we're now to the point where I'm getting inquiries from people from every part, even media outlets that would not pay attention previously are now asking questions about, hey, what's really going on with this food system? So what you and I have been asking for, it's here. Now we have to step up and let people know where the challenges are and what the solutions. We can't just talk about the problems. We have to identify the solutions, and the solutions are to get more people engaged in the process, period. Well, that has been the problem. You you hit on the other side of that coin, and the other side of that coin is solutions. Yeah. Committees go away. Solutions. Bureaucrats go away. There's no money in solutions. The money's in the problem. Solutions are the kryptonite to their species. If they solve it, they think they lose. It's like the wild horses. Who wants to gather up all the wild horses? Well, anybody that has anything to do with it, except for the fact there's a bureaucracy that goes all the way back to Washington, D.C., that are all living off of these downtrodden animals. And they are downtrodden because of the management. 
But boy, they're not going to solve that problem. Everybody's got a seat at the table, and everybody's making their Beamer payment based on an animal that could be taken care of mm. and turned into protein if they want. You just no way. Uh, uh, again, you're right where we need to be in this nation. And last week, Roger Savory put it in a context for me on my TV show, Trent on the Loose. He said a politician adopts laws to try to fix a problem. What we need is we need people that will enable the dreams of the future. I mean, that, put, that, 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 the future. That, that, that puts into context what you just described. And the, all of your credit is, is a perpetual, uh, perpetuating the problem to save their, you've dealt with that with the Department of Labor. You've dealt with that with every single thing you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and it's sort of like <laughs> you're in the wilderness going, mm-hmm. the woods is on fire or whatever, <laughs> you know, metaphor, uh, you're not the little boy that cried wolf because the wolf is here yeah. and the wolf is ourselves allowing this to happen. And we did it because it sounded so good. We were so powerful and so well equipped to handle any problem the world dealt us. And we were arrogant about it. So we gave the environmental movement its legs. Yeah. And now it's coming back to bite us. I got to give That's something else happened. some legs. That is NO2U, a nitric oxide supplement that I take every single day and have done so for 18 years. Why? It's about improving your immune system. Excuse me. It's about improving your heart health. It's about improving mental clarity. If you don't have the right level of nitric oxide in your blood, you're not going to make that happen. I take one lodges every single day, and that costs about $1.10. Are you willing to invest a dollar a day in better health. Dr. Nathan Bryan has the science at NO2U.com. We're back with more Roll Route second half after this. Welcome back. Roll Route, Trent Luce alongside Hank Vogler checking in from White Pine County, Nevada. I think it appears we're finally going to have a decent day here in Nebraska. The sun's shining. It looks like the wind has subsided. The storm is not over, but maybe it's turned around. Well, we're going to brand calves here in about an hour, and uh, if, if you uh, will extend that fine, fair weather till about two o'clock this afternoon here, I would be ever beholden because <laughs> we need it too. Well, I'll tell you that old cold wind blowing off of that snow was mean there for a day. See, you're never happy. You've been whining about not getting any moisture for a year. Now you get moisture. Now you're worried about it being cold and branding calves. No, no, I, I, it's just all part of the program. It's what I signed up for, you know. There's nothing you can do about it. You, you, Wait you a minute, we signed up for this? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, unfortunately, I believe we did. Yeah. So you, you got to look at it from that point of view. It's just, it's just part of the program. I, I, and there's an astonishing thing. Now, and I, and of course, it's my favorite subject because it was so ludicrous. You know, the environmentalists in Las Vegas are thicker than thieves, and yet destroying all of eastern Nevada meant nothing to them because somebody with uh, a background in who knows what said, yeah, there's plenty of water in North Spring Valley. There's plenty of water up uh, in the northern counties. Let's just build a pipeline and take her down here to Vegas, even though if Vegas wants to grow... It should be talking about desalinization, making 
packs that trade on the Colorado, lots of things. Yeah. You got the Colorado River is not going dry, but the water is dropping, and it's not just because of the drought. It's because they quit logging. It's because the brush and all the things that used to be consumed partially by sheep and cattle, and they and you do take all those things, and that drainage of the Colorado River is no different than the side of Antelope Mountain that I was on the other day. There could you want to create water? Your competition for water is tens of thousands of acres of trees that should not be burned. They should be cut down and made into some sort of a fuel base to create electricity or something else. It's a waste of what's going on. But yet, nobody wants to step up and do anything about it. But after the snow came Friday, this is what, Monday? Yep. All the springs in my field are running three times as much water as they were a few days ago. It's not going to last very long, but Mm -hmm. these deep aquifers with this inexhaustible supply of water to go to Vegas doesn't exist. These aquifers are shallow. Everybody that's drilled a hole in this country very deep, they hit bedrock. And and, and there's no... It doesn't get better the deeper they go. So all of this science, supposedly, you know, where are the environmentalists? Well, I think they all got paid off. A whole bunch of wilderness uh, areas were created here. See, I, I've always been critical of you. They're not environmentalists. They're pseudo-environmentalists. They use the environment to fill their coffers. They don't care about the environment. Well, they don't care about animal rights. They, they found a way to emotionally tug at the heartstrings of people to get money. That's all it's ever been about. You better bet you. And I apologize. They... They're not even pseudo. <laughs> They're safer environmentalists. <laughs> re- remember when I was at your place back when I came to your place every year, uh, you had that deeded section where you had you'd gone in there and gotten rid of the trees like you should have, and you could see the difference in how the the water was available. In that area, and as I'm ta- telling this story, I'm sitting in North Platte thinking about all the cedar trees in my pasture that I should be home getting rid of today. But if people could just see what I saw, they would get it. They would understand. Yeah. It, the, the water is, is in the cycle of life. It's in the cycle from uh, evaporation over the oceans and then the uh, clouds coming on shore and dumping water. Uh and it's been going on for a bazillion and a quarter years. So if you have competition for that water, whether it's somebody drilling into that aquifer to irrigate a crop and then not taking care of the hillsides that it comes off of by allowing pinion and juniper and brush and other uh, flammable plants take over, they're going to. I mean, that's just... That's Darwin's theory of evolution. Every animal, every plant wants to dominate its environment. And they do. And when you allow them to do it, it's just like predators. Predators are going to, uh, as long as we continue to run over animals on the highway and have artificial food sources for them, they're going to continue to grow. Uh, The number of actual coyotes years and years ago is very minuscule. Now... We've got coyotes that have figured out which old ewes packing twins and not even going to bother to eat her, rip her belly open, and pull the lambs out. She dies, and, of course, 
the lambs don't make it. They wind up going to a predator. They're going to do that till all the prey base is gone. Yeah. That's just common sense. Survival. And we act like we are on some sort of a suicide mission. Look around, boys and girls. You cannot feed yourself in the backyard when you're 20 stories up in a building. You've got to have somebody with a pair of bib overalls on that's willing to do it. And when you choke him out, when you push him down, and he's, what, 60 years old, uh, you're going to get hungry just think about what when that happens when the when the cities realize they don't have access to food because that's it's coming you can call me sensationalizing sensationalizing whatever but when you have five million people live in chicago and there is no food in chicago they're going to migrate somewhere to to go seek that where are they going to go I don't think they'll go anywhere. They will go to the local welfare office, the local government office, probably even the post office, and yell and scream and stand in the streets. And by the time you they know realize what, you're exactly what happened, right. Yeah, they have become so dependent. What there ought to be a law. Well, <laughs> laws are kind of getting passed to support the people that are writing the laws, yeah. not the people. That's an accident if it helps the people. But the, I don't think that they'll, you know, they're always, you've got to have ammunition, you've got to have guns, because the hordes are going to come out. Well, I think I'm a little far away, and I think you are too. They're I, I agree go with to you. The government office and jump up and down and lay there until they die. But, and that is the summary. The summary is that they're intended to create dependence. And when they create, and I got to tell you that in this campaign trail, as we've now covered 30 of the 93 counties in 18 days that I've been traveling with Teresa, I can't believe the number of people, conservative, center, left, I don't care where they're at, who always look to the government for help. It's shocking to me. The biggest one shock is the number of people that just, automatically think that we'll turn to the government when we need help that is not how it should be and that is what we need to fix that mindset yep and and it goes right back to the fact after the second world war we were the big dog and we were too busy at the country club we were too busy uh making a life for ourselves our wives didn't work but they had to go to work because they kept raising the taxes to where she paid the taxes, and they saved and bought the house and the car with the old man's salary. So we got everybody out of the house, got everybody dependent on government. And it just evolved that there ought to be a law. Boy, this isn't right. We ought to, let's go talk to the congressman and get a law passed. Well, okay, let's perpetuate the problem. Let's just keep it going. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, perpetuating the problem instead of identifying solutions. And the solution is who you see in the mirror, and that's where people struggle. They just they really want somebody to fix it for them. And, Mr. Luce, let me tell you, when you step up and try and defend yourself, whether you're Wayne Hage, Steve Hammond, Dwight Hammond, Susie Hammond, or anybody else, and you step out of the mainstream and you say, wait a minute, this isn't right, I'm not going to put up with this. You are marked. Mm-hmm. You, you, 
they are going to drag you down. They're going to get your fame and fortune or whatever you've got away from you to keep you silent. They do not want anybody rocking the boat. They're in charge, and they do not want to give up any ground, no matter how righteous or right your side of the story could possibly be. So yesterday I was at a, a forum in Hooker County, Hooker County, Nebraska, that is Mullen, Nebraska. I uh, met a new friend, um, Keith George, who came from Texas. He's a he's in the photography business of real estate, takes pictures of homes. And we started talking about all of the issues that you and I are talking about, in particular how they've displaced so many grazing acres, <clears throat> excuse me, in Texas from Dallas, Fort Worth, all the way down to San Antonio. And he started telling me about the Hammond situation, not knowing that I had any involvement or knowledge or, or anything. But it was funny, and it, it made me think about how many people actually saw what happened to the Hammonds, and it, it turned a light bulb on where they said, you know, something's not right here. Now, you and I need to make sure that more people know about it, but there is obviously a significant portion that does know how this played out. And that's why we got to keep doing what we're doing. And they're still being punished. They're still having trouble with getting their permits back. You know, and I'm not trying to be a bigger dog, but you just think about it. You go out and you purchase something, mm -hmm. 2004, deeded property with allotments that had to be attached to that deeded property. And the government was going to settle an issue. Be all, you know, everything was coming up roses. And then Southern Nevada Water Authority walks into the picture. And 17 years later, you finally get a gut full of it because now they're not only trying to take away your permit, they're trying to take away the water that's in your permit, not theirs. Not to send it to Vegas, but to irrigate livestock, which read anything in the Taylor Grazing Act that says state agencies can do it. But everybody is on their side because it's the path of least resistance as far as they're concerned. There's power and money and privilege and everything involved in this. Uh, illegal use of power, everything. They don't want to do it. They don't want to touch it. And it's and and it's getting up to the point where I've almost spent as much as the value of the permit. Yeah. But you can't you can't quit. You got to stay in the game. That's exactly but what's happening. Just to increase your cost of compliance, money. I got to run to another break. We have the last break. Amanda Radke continues to do a tremendous job sitting in for me. AmandaRadke.com, the Radke Report, and I think there's going to be a special report coming up soon. So stay tuned. AmandaRadke.com. Last segment of Roll Route right after this. Welcome back, everyone. Trent Luce alongside Hank Vugler. We were all coffeeed up during that break. That worked out really good. It is kind of funny and, and typical that you've been dealing with drought for how long, and now today you got a brand and you got a big old heavy wet snow that isn't going to make it any easier. Not that you're complaining about moisture. I'm, I'm just saying. No, no. It's just part of it. It's just part of the career. You know, you, you, you know it's just like this. For whatever reason that you and I ran into each other, your first question to me was about wild horses. Yep. Are we any closer to getting that issue solved? No. No. Why? 
you knew the day you talked to me in Fallon, Nevada, at the Nevada Cattlemen Association, uh, whatever it was, uh, Exhibitors Cocktail Party. That could have been solved all those years ago in six months. But there's a slug of people. It's a huge part of the BLM's entire budget every mm-hmm. year. Nobody wants a solution. Sage grouse comes along. You had guys betting a case of beer how long into the program before I mentioned sage grouse. And so I got to figured out maybe if I could get them to uh, pick a minute, I would get that minute and then maybe for a six pack I, I could kind of be in on the deal. But I, I never did get that done. But it was a hoot. Because it wasn't your ox being gored. But boy, oh boy, one off. Lesser prairie chicken showed up in Kansas. <laughs> the governor starts threatening the feds. I yeah. mean, yeah. Uh-oh. That's what the deal is. Until your ox is being gored. Until you up there on the 20th floor head down to the grocery store in downtown Chicago and... You go to the store, and there's a line going around the block like there was during the COVID. They even had a special time if you were of a certain age. You could get to the head of the line. They opened an hour early if you were over 65. Well, all you got to do is take your Chinese wife with you and get her to cough and say, boy, I wish you hadn't gone to Wuhan, and you get to go right to the head of the line. I mean, it worked out really good. But when you got in the store, it was half empty, and you could only buy one can of beans. Yeah. Well, let's put this in a real perspective. It could get a heck of a lot worse than that. And if that wasn't a wake-up call, mm-hmm. you're, you're on drugs. You ain't never waking up. <laughs> well, and a third of the shipping vessels in the world are in one area off the coast of, what is it, Singapore? What are they doing there? What's going on there? Well, and what is it, Shanghai? They've got shut down. That's people were Shanghai. In the it's Shanghai, not Singapore, right? I understand Singapore is a, is a uh, different area, but just think about the people. Did anybody see that on TV besides me? It was dark, and people were screaming because they had no food, no water, no heat in Shanghai. Yeah, I didn't see that. They were screaming. I mean, it was... It, I did, and it was on several nights on the TV. Now, whether it was all made up or not, but it was in Shanghai, China. People were screaming, and and they weren't on a microphone. It was they were it was coming out of the windows of those people's apartments, and they showed this picture of these huge, tall apartments, and the people screaming, starving. <laughs> well, I still wonder what it's going to take to get more people awake uh, and we are actually saying what it's going to take it's going to take a lot worse than where we're at right now absolutely absolutely i mean i'm old enough i remember the seasonality of so many things this time of the year potatoes and onions is about all you could find at the grocery store mm-hmm. in the produce Maybe a few heads of lettuce coming out of California. Maybe some asparagus. But fruit was seasonal. There were lots of things that were seasonal. Now, with transportation, with fossil fuels, we bring that stuff in from all over the world. Uh, There are people every day that are 
near starvation somewhere in the world, but they're starved by their government. And America has never had that problem. But the closer we get to the National Environmental Policy Act that can stop everything from road construction to hospital construction to anything, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to bite us eventually. Government continues to grow. No government agency ever will say, you know, we got 50000 left in the budget. Let's turn it back in. Boom. They're going to figure out how to use that 50000 and then ask for twice as much when they go to budget. They'll get cut by 50%. They'll still get more than they did the year before. And everybody goes, we're fiscally responsible. <laughs> I mean, that's the core of the issue. How do you turn the growing government around? Government's not going to do it. Uh, I, Ronald Reagan, I think, had a hiring freeze. And I believe he also had uh, budget freezes, uh, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, to... to slow the increased growth in government. But, uh, you know, I guess it would be as good for the goose to be good for the gander if they had line-item veto or something to where, you know, which may not be constitutional. The bills are supposed to uh, start, especially the money, in the House. You know, uh, I I think politicians are going to be politicians every day of the week forever. Very seldom does private citizens get disgusted to where they go after and try and help. Politicians are who they are. You should have tenure. You should have uh, limits on how long you can work for the government. Because when you, if you become the senator from Nebraska, mm-hmm. when you get to Washington, D.C., the same people that were there with the other guy, maybe the head of the department that the closest to the governor guy will be different, but every bureaucrat there is going to be there. Now, do you think they want to lose their job? You know, they're not going to want to. They're going to want to expand. They're going to justify their job. It happened at the BLM. The BLM was from the 80s were so absolutely going to eliminate livestock grazing. Somebody woke up one day and said, hey, wait a minute. The entire department that has to do with grazing is about to go out the window. And so they, and this is under the, the Clinton administration, more than the Bushes helped us, more than most of them helped us, because everybody's scared to say environment. The West, federal lands, everybody runs to the corners. They do not want it. The environmentalists have had a hook on that, just like the Department of Labor. It's a sacred cow. So, Nobody would touch it, but the people in the BLM started writing letters to Bruce Babbitt's people and saying, hey, I've been working for the BLM for 30 years. You're about to take my job away from me and grazing. I will be probably uh, in Point Barrel, Alaska, something like that. I don't want to work in the post And so they started to do something about it. And they, they, they kind mm. of took their foot off our neck for a little bit. But even the Republicans would not touch the sacred cow of federal land grazing wild horses or anything else. You know what you just gave me? 
He gave me the line, which is vitally important. If we grew food like we grew government, we'd be fed forever. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I my mean, goodness. You're, you're a genius. A half a percent left in the business that we're in. A half a percent. And the rest of the people, we're an easy target. We couldn't get a dog catcher elected in Luke City. We're farmers. We're busy in our fields. So what do we do? If we quit farming, uh, they're done. And the Federal Land Bank and the Lending Institution have loaned us money through government programs to where they got their foot on their neck, too. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the apocalypse are not the four horsemen uh, of disease and war and pestilence and all of those things. It's meat, potatoes, and onions. Yeah. <laughs> and asparagus or something. That's the apocalypse. I'm glad you included asparagus. I like asparagus. I do, too. Yeah. Yeah. But most of it's being produced in Mexico because of the rules and regulations have driven a good deal of the producers into Mexico. Do you it's know? It's easier to get. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's easier to get produce uh, from Mexico and California than it is California fruit and vegetables. What What I was going to say is I wonder how many people know what percentage of the chicken grown in the United States has been shipped to China for processing and then comes back here to be consumed. If that doesn't illustrate the problem, you're not paying attention. Well, and how long can that stuff set in those cargo ships offshore? Are they all refrigerated and hooked up to where they they don't just rot? I mean, well, I There's got to be a limit, but yes, they have to be refrigerated at some level. I mean, they're not just there all cured. Yeah. Yeah, it, it the next 2 weeks uh Katie bar the door. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm just telling you this, this look at what's happening. Yeah. Whether you like to talk about Ukraine or not, one third of the pro, uh, uh wheat and corn and things for doesn't come here, I don't think, but it goes other places. Brazil's in a drought in certain areas and they double crop, mm-hmm. so they got by their first crop, but they think it'll even be worse in the second crop if they don't get some moisture, you know. And then in this country, uh, nobody can afford fuel to run the diesel tractor. Nobody can afford fertilizer to double the yield. You take all of those things into consideration, somebody in the world is going to starve. And it all is based on, everything is always based on who controls the press. Do you know right now they figure there's over 700 to a million people who are in slavery in Africa? I believe and it. Slavery around the world goes back thousands of years, mm-hmm. and it's nothing new. Right. And they, there are more people oh. in Africa that are slaves than were ever brought to America. But for that day and time, so you, it's bait and switch. We have all this information about slavery and how horrible it was but it was france britain and the united states that ended slavery first that'll do it european and 
We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Once again, thanks to Hank Vogler, Amanda Radke, and NO2U.com. Certified Piedmontese. I got them all in there. We're out of time. We'll pick it up again tomorrow. It'll be Amanda with the guys tomorrow. We've journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. For Hank, I'm Trent. All roads do lead to a rural route.